Well, for the rest of you, I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. For those who have had an opportunity on Sunday nights, uh, sometimes during the month, to be able to come, uh, you might get to hear me preach at other times. So it's a privilege for me to be able to uh, serve in this pulpit this morning and speak on a Sunday morning. That that almost never happens. And uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes today. We'll see if it ever happens again, right? <laughs> I, uh, I trust that the Lord's hand is upon me to help me to try to preach to you this morning. And uh, we'll, we'll go from there. And again, as I said, I'm trusting that it will be the Lord's power and not my own. So... Again, trying to get out of my tunnel vision here. So let's get into the message. Philippians chapter 4. So just to kind of catch you up a little bit. Uh, this is actually the last of an entire series of messages that I've done on the book of Philippians. And that started all the way back last May when Pastor Walker made the decision to let me and Pastor Larson have the opportunity to preach every now and then. Uh, I would preach on a Sunday night. He would preach on a Wednesday night, usually about once a month. And... Here I am on Sunday morning preaching to you all. So Philippians, one of the things that I mentioned when I first started teaching through this book is to consider it as if it were a letter that were written to you personally. And that's that's what this letter was. I mean, it is, it is the Word of God. It is for us to learn and to be instructed. But this is also from the hand of an individual person Maybe not much unlike myself, although I'm sure Paul is a better preacher than I am. And still, from 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 a very human being, this this isn't just some uh, secret letter that was you know found somewhere that someone had magically put together. This is a very real letter that someone wrote to a real church. It would be as if I wrote a letter to Broomfield Baptist Church, or a. Uh, Perhaps to be more accurate this morning, Pastor Walker, to write a letter to Brookfield Baptist Church. Hey, how are things going? Is everything going okay there? Uh, is, is Brother Mike doing okay? Uh, has, has he wiped the sweat off of his brow yet? And, you know, uh, probably asking more substantial things, I'm sure. But he, he would want to know, you know, how, how's the music today? How did the preaching go? How, what, what was the reception of the message? Did the Spirit work in the service? Or uh, maybe in general, if he's gone for an extended period of time as he was during his trip to Israel, which was the last time I actually had a chance to preach on a Sunday morning, you know, he would be wanting to know about uh, the various affairs of the church. And this was Paul and his concern for the Philippian church. I'll get into a little bit more of the background as we go. But uh, catching you up to chapter 4 where we are, I've been doing a series of little, what I call, mini-guides uh, I've taken chapter 4 as Paul's guides to various things. So first, at the beginning of chapter 4 was Paul's guide to Christian conduct. We looked at various aspects of the, the way that the believer should think and should act and behave. And that was uh, comprised verses 1 through 9 when we did that. My last message, which is actually a couple weeks ago, we looked at Paul's guide to Christian contentment. And you see that word, content. In those next verses there, verses 10 through 14, Paul learned in whatever state of life he happened to be in, he was going to learn to be content. And I shared some of my own personal testimony about how God has helped me to be able to learn how to be content in my various life circumstances. So now we get to the end of the letter. 
You know, people talk about famous last words. Now, these weren't exactly Paul's last words at all. If you want that, you'd have to go to 2 Timothy. And that is his last words, as far as chronologically speaking, of what he wrote. But in terms of what he wrote to the Philippian church, this is it. So, Paul, Paul, what are you going to say to your church? What last words of advice do you have for us? What last words of, we're going to see thanksgiving in here. And we're going to see a lot of the reason for his writing this letter in the first place. So I'll invite you to Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse number 15 as we read this morning. And I'll try and catch myself up here. Philippians chapter 4, verse 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica he sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus." Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Lord, I pray for this message today. And even as you've stirred my heart in this and in this entire series, Lord, uh, and help to give me a deeper appreciation for what you've said through this epistle. I pray that a little bit of that at least would be spilled onto your people this morning and that they would be helped as they learn how to be uh, good stewards of the, the ministries that you've given them individually and, and also good uh, helpers of each other, Lord, as we all try to do this work of, that you've called us to together here at Burnfield Baptist Church and even as individuals, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would uh, take the preeminence, Lord, and that. I would be able to step back and just see you work through this message in Jesus' name. Amen. So looking at uh, Paul's, uh, I'm calling this Paul's Guide to Christian Caretaking. Now maybe some of you are familiar with that term in other contexts. Uh, in fact, uh, when I was down in Pensacola, uh, during one of my uh, activities with the college, they called them Christian service, uh, kind of generally as a category where different groups would go out from the college and go to different places, nursing homes, maybe door-to-door knocking, maybe they'd go to a town center somewhere and preach, or uh, children's clubs, those are pretty common too. I was part of a, uh, a group that went to an assisted living home, and there I met a, a lady who I still have connections with today, and uh, she, was, she happened to be there because she just had a stroke and she was recovering from the stroke, and Somehow, the two of us just really hit it off. Uh, but people like that in that situation, they usually have people called caretakers that take care of them, that help for their various needs, that, to help them to eat their food, to help them to uh, maybe manage any personal affairs, expenses, anything like that that might come up, or do their grocery shopping for them, perhaps. And many times when I sat in with her, she would have one of those caretakers there with her who would be there doing those various things. And over the course of, what is it now, probably eight years, I know she's been through a number of different people, and I've personally had a chance to meet some of those caretakers. 
but it's been a blessing to be able to have that opportunity to be able to uh, to rub shoulders with someone who was a generation before me. And she was someone who also knew the Lord, and we had that fellowship together. And it was, it was a blessing. But think, thinking of the idea of caretakers, Paul was asking us, in a sense, to be caretakers for each other. We, we need to help each other along this journey we call life. We need to make sure that we're helping each other be the best that we can as we serve God. Sometimes we need a little bit of that lifting up. Paul here is, even though he's already written in this letter about all this joy that he has, don't forget that he's actually writing this from a prison in Rome, most likely. And you know, if you were, well, today's prisons, they don't really compare to prisons back then. I mean, you have Wi-Fi and TV and uh, workout centers and you know, there's one I even saw, they have a golf course on a, some maximum security prison in Louisiana. Prison is not what it used to be, but think back to Paul's days. These, these didn't have your modern accommodations. And, and yet, despite all of this, and I mentioned this in my message a couple weeks ago, Paul learned how to be content in those circumstances. How do I have the joy of the Lord in those circumstances? Well, he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Some, you know, somehow he did it, and I believe by God's help, he learned how. And you know, we go through our own stages of life where we have to learn how to be content. But uh, coming from that point, all of that to say Paul was in a prison somewhere. He wasn't enjoying the great luxuries of uh, being in ministry, uh, as some might think. You know, there, I'm sure there are plenty of memes up there that talk about the, the flashy cars and the, you know, these, show these pictures of these big mega churches or the you know, high salary pastors and whatnot. And, uh, in fact, I'll mention that a little bit later in some of what I have to say. But Paul was writing this from a prison, and yet it was, it was joyful and thankful for his circumstances. So Paul now, as we get into the last part of Philippians here, talking about uh, caring for people's needs. We're going to see, first of all, the care for God's workers And this would be from the perspective of the Philippian church and what the Philippian church has been able to do for Paul. And a lot of what prompted the writing of this letter was the fact that they had sent their very own servant, Epaphroditus, to go and minister to his needs. And as to what that care package looked like, no one is really 100% sure. But uh, nonetheless, the Philippian church had a care for Paul, and they wanted to be able to take care of Paul and his situation. I read again in verse number 15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. First thing I'd like to look at under the care for God's workers is the fact that they were communicating with a need. Now, there's different kinds of communication. In fact, I'm communicating to you right now. The the sound waves that are coming out of my mouth are entering your earlobes, and that is communicating to you. And the the way that I shape my words and the actual words themselves that come out of my mouth, that is communication, that I am sending and you are receiving that information. Well, this is communication in a bit of a different sense. And I also explained this in previous messages in Philippians. Uh, In fact, it's this word, communicated, where uh, you find other words in the Bible that are translated as fellowship. The same root word that is used to translate the word fellowship 
is here translated as the word communicates. But if you take all of those words together and you kind of get the, the boil it down to what does this word mean, it comes down to this idea of partnership or togetherness. Uh, fellowship is a word that is commonly translated as, but here we see the word communicated. That there's an idea or an aspect of fellowship in this communication. And maybe you've heard that phrase before, to, to communicate with someone's need. And in fact, in verse 14, it uses that similar kind of terminology there. Communicating with his affliction, he says there in verse 14. So there's ways that our words can communicate, but there's also ways that our actions can communicate too. And I believe that's what this is being, what is being illustrated here by Paul. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. To, to have fellowship with me in this idea of giving and receiving. And so Paul here is actually commending them for the fact that, hey, they were the only ones. So he says, now ye know also. And when he says that there, uh, it's, it's emphatic in a sense, and you could almost translate it as, now ye Philippians, yes, you Philippians, kind of pointing them out and singling them out and highlighting them. And, and I believe this gives kind of a sense of his, his thankfulness and wanting to focus on the fact that they've been a blessing to him. That this idea of their knowing, this is something that the Philippians also know in addition to Paul. So what is, what is this knowledge? I've kind of already given it a little bit. That in the beginning of the gospel, so just picking this apart phrase by phrase here, the beginning of the gospel, uh, you might think, uh, you know, you go back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have the beginning of the gospels. This isn't talking about the, the gospels, as is what is written, but it's talking about what I believe is the beginning of his, maybe you would call it gospel ministry with the Philippians. And I believe that's also played out in the next phrase here, when he says, when I departed from Macedonia. So that's giving a little bit of a time stamp to what's taking place here. So the beginning of Paul's ministry, you go back to, if you wanted to look at it, Acts chapter 16, that gives you the kind of the timeline of what happened with his Macedonian ministry. You know, he had that vision which told him, hey, Paul, come into Macedonia and help us. And from that, he was compelled to go and to help those that were in the region of Macedonia. Acts 16, verse 8. And they passing by Mycenae came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia Assuredly gathering that the Lord had called for us to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. So the very first place that Paul went to in his Macedonian ministry was actually Philippi. And from that, we see kind of the beginnings of the Philippian church, you have the, that prayer meeting that was taking place uh, by uh, Lydia there, uh, by the, this, the river there. And then you have the situation with the jailer and the, the earthquake that, that loosed the prison at midnight. And, and so Paul and his companion Silas there was loosed from the prison. This was all part of his being in Philippi. So then you get to the tail end of that chapter and verses 39 and 40. Uh, after they've kind of had a run-in with the, the sergeants there, he says, all right, you can leave now. So in those last verses in that chapter, you see him leaving. 
So in Philippians 4, when he's saying that at the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, I believe there's a reference to that whole situation and his departing from that region at that time. And we'll see in the next verse, in fact, it lines up beautifully in the chronology of this, uh, verse 16, about where his next destination was. So, communicated concerning giving and receiving. Now, again, this isn't communication in the sense of using words. This wasn't them saying, "Hey, uh, hey, Paul, you, um, you know, why don't we, why don't we put something together?" It's not like they could get together on Skype or something and say, "Hey, Paul, how are you doing in that prison there?" Hey, you know, we want to send you something. You know, they, they didn't have that luxury, so they would have to send someone over there to be able to communicate with him. And it was oftentimes through a letter like this. And so we see that happening, uh, and that would happen with Epaphroditus. He brought the, the message along with the gift there. But uh, one of the ways that this could be understood is that, uh, uh, that they communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. That phrase, as concerning, uh, kind of has the flavor of they invested themselves into this idea of giving and receiving. It wasn't just words. Now, we're, we're good at talk sometimes, where we talk about wanting to minister to people's needs, but until we actually do something and invest ourselves into it, and we're not even talking about money, we're talking about ourselves. Are we invested in that person? Are we going to give towards the needs that that person has? And so I believe the Philippian church is taking that to heart here, they communicated with him as concerning giving and receiving. They had heard him talk and preach about this idea of giving and receiving, probably when he had his ministry there. And so they are taking this to heart now, and they are putting it into practice. And so they are now making good on the teaching that they have been given here. So they communicated with him as concerning giving and receiving. And that last phrase there, there, there was no church, no other church that did this for him at that stage in his life. The Philippians were the only ones, see, at the end of the verse, it, it was you alone that did this. You know, sometimes uh, people who are missionaries or church planters or other people that are somewhere doing a work for the Lord can, can be a very lonely place. And those people need our support. Those people need us to be able to step up and say, I'm going to help to, to support this person in this ministry you know, whether it's by prayer or by financial giving or by maybe ministering to some other need. Uh, you know, sometimes in the letters that we've received, they needed physical items sometimes. And sometimes we can help to uh, accommodate those things. You know, what, what if, you know, he says that the Philippians were the only ones. What if the Philippians had decided, yeah, you know, I'm sure someone else will step up and help Paul out there in that prison. You know, if, if they hadn't, if they had had that mentality Paul wouldn't be able to write these words right here. There would have been no one that helped. And it would be kind of more like 2 Timothy chapter 4, where he says, no man stood with me. Now, what kind of a lonely place is that? That you're there being persecuted for Christ, and then no one is there to stand with you and help you. I think it's important for us to be able to have that mindset that we are going to help God's people and the afflictions and the needs that they have. So verse 16 here. So communicating with the need, we've seen the awareness of their exclusivity, which is the fact that they were the only church. Next, we're going to see anticipating future necessity. We see that in verse 16. He says, therefore, even in Thessalonica, he sent once and again unto my necessity. 
even in Thessalonica. This, this wasn't just a one-time thing. They, they, they helped him, they ministered to him, but uh, they didn't forget about him. You know, so, so let's say we do make that, that pledge to make a one-time gift to someone. Uh, is our heart in that to the point to where we're going to continue to be able to uh, lift these people up in prayer and not forget about the ministry that these people have? And I know that you know, just listening to the prayer letters that we have on Wednesday nights, and there's, there's a lot of people to keep track of. But you know, that should be an encouragement for us to have a very healthy prayer life, to pray for these people. And I think that's a good practice to have, that we have a regular practice of uh, even just specifically praying for those who are missionaries, church planters, or involved in some other uh, parachurch ministry. You know, we need to lift these people up. And, and not, you know, not just one time, because I'm good at that. I'm good at saying, you know, I'm going I'm to help this person out, and I'm going to give to this person, and then after that happens, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And then I completely forget about who, who was this person, what did they do. You know, a month later, I might be thinking, I might, of course, I might not even think of it. And, and that's the human part of you showing there. But uh, that's where we need to discipline ourselves to make sure that we're putting these people in remembrance, into our own minds, that we remember them. He said, even in Thessalonica, and you see in Acts chapter 17, that's the very next place that Paul went, was into, the, into Thessalonica. And he stayed there for several weeks. So he says there, even in Thessalonica, he sent once and again unto my necessity. And that kind of has the idea of again and again and again and again. They just kept on helping Paul. He, he was over in Thessalonica, but they didn't forget about him. They were helping him where he was. And this was multiple times. And you read the passage there in Acts 17. He was there for several weeks. And so even in that time, you know, it's not like they had the modern convenience travels that we have today. You know, they, they would be sending people on foot to help to minister to his needs. And so they were really expending a lot of effort to try to help Paul. And, and as I label it here, anticipate future necessity. And you see that at the end of the verse there, he sent once and again unto my necessity. So they communicated with Paul. They kind of got an idea of, you know, it's like we would ask a missionary sometimes, what, what, what are your needs? And they'll tell us that in their letters sometimes. And so we want to be able to help to meet their needs. It's nice to be able to send them gifts sometimes, and I'm sure they appreciate that. You send them a, a you send a college student a care package in the mail, and it has Oreos and Skittles and all kinds of comfort foods. That, that's a good thing, and that's that's fine and well that we do that. Uh, we just also need to make sure that we're ministering to people's needs as well, and find out what those needs are. So evidently, they were aware of what needs Paul had, and then they were seeking to meet those needs again and again. You know, that, and that, I think that is, that's really true fellowship. It's, it's not so much us here getting together on a Sunday. It's throughout the week as things come up with people. You know, if we need to help out a brother or sister somewhere during the week, a need comes up to be there for those people. That's true fellowship, I believe. To, and, and not again, not only once. We need to make sure that, you know, I think real love for people is being able to have that uh, continued uh, focus on... You know, how can I be sensitive to this person's need? You know, what what part can I play in helping them to to maybe get through a stage of their life or to to maybe meet a particular 
uh, need that they have. We, we want to make sure that we're taking care of them in that way. And that really, I think, is true fellowship. So moving on here, I'm going to skip ahead to verse 18. Creating a thankful spirit. And again, this is from the perspective of the Philippians towards Paul in the way I believe that Paul is addressing this here. Because this is what the, the Philippians have thus done to Paul by their giving. They have created a thankful spirit in him. Verse 18. He says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And first thing in that is acknowledging reception. He said there at the beginning of the verse, I have all, or in other words, I have received everything that you sent me. It's like when I order stuff off of eBay, and they, if you're familiar with eBay, they have the, the feedback system, and you can tell them things that happen. And I've had situations where I've had to say, uh, well, they, they encourage you to communicate personally if there's any problems, because on the feedback system, it's public, and you can see everything. People sometimes write some pretty nasty things on there. But usually my response will be because you know, 99.9% of the time, everything is fine. So uh, I try to just have a simple little system where I just let them know. They give you a certain amount of characters, too. You have to fit in in that. You know, item arrived safely. And so I'll just, just pass along that message or uh, you know, everything is fine. Uh, that's kind of what Paul is doing here. Items received safely. He might put on that little feedback. If it, if it were online and there were a feedback system, that's what Paul would say to the Philippian church there. You know, sent their post through UPS or something. You know, he received it. So the you know, same thing like when I work at Subway, once a week we get a delivery in our truck, and we have this big, long invoice of things that we receive. You know, did, we, did we get our lettuce? Did we get our spinach? Did we get our tomatoes? Did we get our turkey? Did we get our soda? Did All of these things. You go through that big, long checklist, and uh, there, in fact, it just happened in the last week where we were shorted an item. We had to let them know, hey, we didn't get this lemonade. You know, what's going on with this? So, you know, Paul here is saying, I've received everything that you sent me. Uh, I think there's a little bit more of a nuance uh, of thankfulness that we'll see here. But it, when people go out of their way to try to help us, I think it's important for us to acknowledge the fact that someone has sent us something. You know, Paul here is saying, hey... Hey, I, I got it. I, I got it. And he's going to go beyond that in a little bit here. But uh, just priming you for what I'm about to say here, coming up soon here. And again here it says, I have all and abound. And I believe that's a reference back to verse number 12, where he says, I've learned it. I've learned how to be abased or to be brought low or how to abound, to be in a state of having plenty. You know, that, that's how Paul felt when he received this. You know, it may not have been the biggest gift, but to him, it was a lot. And so Paul says, I feel like I am a, I am abounding because of what you sent me. And he says there, I am full. That's what we say when we go to a buffet, right? I am full. And we kind of waddle out the door as I did. Uh, uh, remember one time in marching band, they felt like they were going to have to carry me out the door. But I said, Paul said, I am full. And that's not because he had just gone to a buffet and eaten. Again, he's in the prison here. But... You know, Paul said, it's more of a, a state of being, uh, the, the, way, the way that he feels. He, he just, just feels so overwhelmed with goodness. The fact that they would send him this gift. I am full. 
having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. And again, why I say, acknowledging people's sacrifices, this was a sacrifice. And you go back to chapter 2, and you learn that Epaphroditus actually hazarded his life to be able to get this gift to Paul. Paul is, you know, of all the times that you want to acknowledge that someone has done something for you, I think you want to do it in those situations where someone has risked their life to try to do that for you. And we, we're thankful for our veterans and for those who have paved the way for us in this country. That was sacrifice. That was a lot that they put on the line for themselves. And we need to acknowledge that kind of gift toward us when someone gives in that kind of a way. So again, if you want the background for that, uh, Philippians chapter 2 at the end of the chapter there. So we want to make sure that we recognize the fact that other people have given for us. So now we get to attributing valuation to this, which is the end of that verse there. He says it's an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now when it says there that this is an odor of a sweet smell, people, commentators will debate about what was this gift that was sent to him. you might get the impression from that phrase, you know, maybe you got a stick of deodorant. It was an odorant, it was a, an odor of a sweet smell, or, or a bottle of cologne, uh, uh, incense, I don't know, probably not. But I think that's more a reference to not so much the gift itself, but, uh, and I'll tie it to other passages here, this is the, uh, this is how... Uh, Revelation chapter 8 talks about our prayers going to heaven, and God, uh, the, the, there's, the, there's the odor of a sweet smell that goes up from that, so to speak. Not so much that, or maybe sometimes our prayers do stink, but uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, it can be compared in that kind of a way, where it's an odor of a sweet smell. Let me give you a few verses here. So Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16 He says, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. And again, that word communicate there has the same idea of what we've already talked about. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Again, thinking about Epaphroditus, that that was a worthy sacrifice to make on God's behalf there. and God was pleased with that. Let me tie it together a little more. We'll go back to Genesis chapter 9. This is right after the flood. And the boat has settled. And Noah is getting off the boat. And so now they're getting ready to live life post-flood. And here's what Noah does in uh, Genesis 9, verse 20. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was... Oh wait, that's, is that the right chapter? Maybe I'm in chapter 8. Oh. Scratch that reference. Chapter 8, chapter 8. I know somehow I miswrote that. But that's a very opposite idea of what I want to communicate. So I just want to make that clear. Chapter 8, verse 20. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And notice verse 21 here. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Uh, I know that God's nostrils are that good, so he could smell that. And, you know, when you go up and you're camping and you're cooking some meat on a fire, that smells good, doesn't it? Yeah. 
he knows. We'll do, we're going to do it again, right? All right. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more every living thing as I have done. And then, of course, there's the more promises there that he gives. But you see that in verse 21. When Noah is offering those sacrifices, it, I believe it's not so much the fact that the, the animals burning on the fire smelled good. This is more that it was just something pleasant for the Lord to experience. And so I believe it's the same way with this gift that the Philippians had offered to Paul here. This was something that was pleasing to the Lord. He says there is sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God, and it has a lot of that idea. God was happy with their gift. Reminds me of Acts chapter 20. Paul is getting ready to say goodbye to uh, the, the Ephesians there, I believe, in that chapter. And then this is kind of the beginning of a new stage for Paul, where he's on his way to uh, appeal to Caesar and have that whole scenario play out. But you're maybe familiar with the verse that he gives them, uh, where he quotes Jesus as saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, and and what, what a word to come from Paul, someone who has received this great gift from these Philippians. Uh, I think he would have, I think he had that kind of a mentality as he was writing those verses there. It, was, it is more blessed to give, and we're going to see that uh, as we get into some other verses here. But not, not only was it, it was a blessing on the Philippians' part. The Philippians can be blessed for the fact that they have given towards Paul. And it's a blessing to God. God it was pleasing to him. It was a sweet-smelling savor and a sacrifice that was acceptable to him. So we get into point number two today, care for God's church. We've looked at care for God's workers, uh, Paul specifically in this case. Care for God's church. Let's go back to verse number 17. After he's talked about, uh, you sent in Thessalonica, you sent once and again into my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Not because I desire a gift. That's very similar to what he wrote back in verse number 11. He's trying to put off the idea that uh, he's trying to ask for something here. Uh, and maybe going back to some of the of what I talked about, maybe you've seen it online too, where people will criticize these, uh, these big dollar preachers that are on TV that have these jumbo jets and uh, these huge church buildings and that they live in these luxurious mansions by the sea. And, and they'll criticize Christians. You know, you know, how, you know, what are you really giving your money to when you're giving money to a church? And then, well, of course, here we are at Brookfield Baptist Church. You, you know what your pastor drives, right? You, you know what house he lives in. You, you know his, his means. I, I would say most of us, if not all of us, are aware of, of the kind of life that he lives. And... You know, that's where I think we need to bring some of those people back down to reality. You know, that Maybe that's that's some churches, and some of them I would hesitate to call churches. But nonetheless, I mean, the average church, I believe, is more like our church here, where you have just average people. And I appreciate that about the walkers. They're average people. Don't take that the wrong way. You're very normal. Normal is normal. They might disagree. 
I'll go with that for now. <laughs> they're, they're a... I should stop while I'm behind, right? Okay. So we see here Paul's, Paul's heart. Paul's heart was not to try to mooch off the church. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Paul wasn't trying to, to manipulate people to, to feel bad for him so that they would give towards him. But it was really just the, the Philippians taking the initiative on their own part to give towards him. And so he's, that's kind of what he's communicating there. Is like, I didn't ask for anything, but you guys decided to give anyway. That, that shows, I believe, as much about the Philippians as it does for Paul here. And when I went over verse 11, I shared some other verses about uh, the fact that this isn't Paul trying to reach out for something. Uh, and if you want the references, again, Acts chapter 20, verses 33 and 34, and 2 Corinthians 11, verses 7 through 9. Uh, Paul was very humble in that regard. He, he tried to labor with his own hands to try to support himself. And he wasn't trying to, uh, let me put it up on the screen here. Uh, okay, so that's, that's what he's going to say in verse 17. Rejecting the notion of handouts. He was looking for a handout. He wasn't asking for them to give him something. But again, the Philippians took initiative in that. He says, on the contrary, I desire fruit for you. That's what I really want. I want you to be blessed by God because you have given to help support me. This is now really showing from Paul's perspective towards the Philippians when I say care for God's church. And you can go back to other passages like in 2 Corinthians 11 where Paul will mention his whole litany of heartaches and hardships that he's had, being shipwrecked and losing sleep. And He says above all of that was his care for the church. All, all the things were secondary compared to the fact that he just wanted to make sure that those churches that he had helped to plant and support were okay. That w- that's what was on his mind as he's having those sleepless nights, as he's being persecuted, as he's being whipped on the back. He said, how are the Philippians doing? Now, how are those Ephesians doing? Now, how are, how are those churches that God has helped me to plant doing? It, it, those other things, again, were just secondary compared to that. That was Paul's heart. And we see here in verse 17, he desires fruit that may abound to your account. And with verse 18, it's kind of a play on words in a sense here. Because he says, I have all and abound, but his desire was for the, the Philippian church to abound, to be in a state of great plenty, for God to bless them. He wanted them to be blessed for their giving. His mind was on purposes for their church, their growth and uh, the growth of God's kingdom. I think of the parable of the sower, and you have the different kinds of the ground. You have the thorny soil, you have the stony ground, you have the, the, the stuff that fell by the wayside, but then you have that which fell on the good ground. And I want to read to you what it says at the end of that, Mark chapter 4, verse number 20, at the end of that parable there, as Jesus is there explaining it. Mark chapter 4, verse 20 And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, which, by the way, I believe is true of the Philippians here, and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. This is what happens when seed falls on good ground. And again, I just point out that the Philippians were under Paul's ministry. Paul had helped them to understand certain things about how to just be good 
uh, upstanding Christians, and particularly in the idea of giving here. He had taught them about that. And so now they have received those words. In fact, back in Philippians 4, we see that that is true. Verse number 9, he's encouraging them to practice those things which they have learned, which up to this point, there's evidence that they've already done that in their giving. So, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruits, and there's the, the amounts they're given. And I believe this is the blessing that the Philippians had waiting for them as they are now practicing the word which they have received. God is going to bless them 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold because of their giving. This is what Paul wanted for them. So and, um, another verse here, John chapter 15. And if you're familiar with John 15, uh, that's the chapter where Jesus is talking about, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, you shall bear much fruit. Uh, chapter 15, verse number 5, I'll point out a few verses here. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. So if we abide in Jesus Christ, if we remain, if we continue with Jesus Christ, we are going to bear fruit. Of course, then he also adds there, for without me you can do nothing. That reminds me of my message a couple weeks ago. And If you look back in verse 13 there in Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It's through Christ's power that we have the power to be able to do these things. Verse number 8 in John 15. Herein is my Father glorified. Again, going to the thought of this is a pleasing thing for God, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. So there's, a, there's another way to be identified as a disciple. He says, by, by your love for one another, but then also uh, by bearing much fruit, you'll be known as his disciples. And also in the same chapter, John 15, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. I'm looking at you also. That ye should go forth and bring forth fruits. And, and I think that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be able to be fruitful also. And be known as his disciples and be pleasing to God in that way. And that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Let's, let's be ones who go out and bear fruit for God. Because we have heard and received his word, and like the Philippians, we have put that teaching into practice. And again, part of the, our ministry for each other, you know, I talk about uh, on an individual level as well, and, and making sure that we can help each other to be able to bear fruit and be able to meet one another's needs. You know, don't forget that part of the purpose of the church is for us to interact with each other in that kind of a way. Ephesians chapter 4. You know, th this is part of the reason that, that he mentions the gifts there of, of teaching and such. That we can be edified. That we can be built up. In fact, let me read those verses there. Ephesians 4, starting at verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some <coughs> pastors and teachers... For the perfecting of the saints, so that is for each of us to come to a point of maturity, for the work of the ministry. You know, when we leave these walls today, we're going to go out and hopefully uh, be involved in uh, ministry in some way. It may not be a formal ministry with a name, but you're going to have opportunity to minister to some people. For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's for us here. That's what we're doing right now, helping to build you guys up so that you can go out and do that work. 
till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, we're, we're building each other so that we get to the point where we can be all that we can be as a church here. You know, we want Broomfield Baptist Church to be all that we can be for God. So we need to be building each other up and using whatever gifting God has given us to be able to accomplish that purpose. So, uh, verse 16 there, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, we all each have our individual parts that we play in this, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, making an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. You catch that last phrase there, edifying of itself. We're building each other up. So we need to have a mind for helping each other. And on the topic of of bearing fruit, how can we help one another to bear more fruit? How can we be encouraging people and meeting people's needs in a way that will help them to be able to be more effective for God? I hasten on here, verse number 19, back in Philippians 4. He's there reminding them of God's promise. He says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I think most, if not all of us, are probably familiar with that verse, and they probably used that verse at some point when we're trying to talk to people or encourage people, especially when they are in a time of need. I just want to remind you about the context here. Paul is writing about the fact that the Philippian church has gone out of their way to give towards his uh, being able to survive in the ministry and acknowledging that gift. And so as a reciprocal action, he is telling them and reminding them, you're meeting my needs, but God is going to meet your needs too. And I think God blesses those who give out of their way to give sacrificially so that God will then open the windows of heaven so that they can receive, a, you know, there's a blessing that they can't receive. There's a promise in God's word for that. Uh, Some other verses to remember, Matthew chapter 6. And in fact, uh, I know Pastor will be getting there when he gets back, uh, not in the near future, I believe, but uh, Matthew chapter 6, since we are going through the Sermon on the Mount, normally on Sunday mornings with him, just to remind you of these words here. Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. There's the promise that if we focus on God's kingdom, then the rest of our needs will take care of themselves. And then, of course, a similar passage, Luke six thirty-eight: Given it should be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You know, sometimes God uses a human agent to be able to provide for people. And that, that's quite often how it happens, isn't it? That you know, you'll get something unexpected from somebody. Someone will, will walk up to you one day and just totally catch you off guard and say, that's exactly what I needed. And, and so it happens sometimes. So notice that from that verse there, shall men give into your bosom? God sometimes uses human agents to provide for us. Uh, back in our scripture reading, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we read some verses from there, point out a couple things here. Verse number 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye, always having 
all sufficiency in all things. Notice how many how many uh, alls are in that verse there. All sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. And notice that phrase it, for doing His work. God will provide for His work. You know, there's the phrase that says, "Where God guides, God provides," and I believe that's true uh, based on that verse as well. Uh, while we're in that same chapter, let me also point out verse 11. Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. That reminds us of Paul's attitude, how thankful he was for the gift. Now, of course, there's thankfulness in this particular context of this situation in 2 Corinthians 9. But nonetheless, Paul was thankful. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, that is, it's meeting a need, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. So it's abundant in the sense that you're providing for someone's needs, but also abundant in the sense that it's causing people to be thankful when you give. And, you know, when God gives towards us and supplies our needs, uh, that's an attitude that we should have as well. I'll remind you of uh, Philippians 4, verse number 6. Uh, some, you know, we need an avenue by which to, to have those needs met. God Now God knows, but he wants, he wants us to know that he knows and then communicate that to him. And that's where prayer comes in. Uh, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving that your requests be made known unto God. And we need to make sure that uh, God knows that we know. Or I should say, we want, we, we need to know ourselves that we know that God knows. And so that's why we go to him, because we know he will take care of those needs. So moving on here, uh, another verse while we're on that topic, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. So just another verse to go along with the previous there. So coming to, uh, the second half is a lot shorter, so I'll just comfort you with that. We see back in Philippians chapter 4, in light of what he said about God supplying their needs, and this also kind of is a way of where he's beginning to close this letter, and he say, Mike, I'm ready for you to come to a close today. Here we are in verse number 20. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> All right, when I get to the other amen, I'm going to have you guys say it too. Amen. Unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. So not only is it in the sense of, well, the letter's coming to a close, but also in the sense that, you know, let's remind ourselves about what we just read in verse 19. Who provides for our needs? You know, obvious question maybe, or question with an obvious answer perhaps, based on what we just looked at there. But verse 19 my God shall supply all your need according to his riches through Christ Jesus. In riches and glories, I misquoted it there. You understand it. God is the one that provides for our needs. What, what more reason is there that we give glory to God? Well, that's one good reason. There's plenty of reasons. God is just simply worthy. But when God does have that opportunity to provide for our needs, and we acknowledge that, and we should be grateful. So giving God glory. So, secondly, on that note, who is this provider to us? He is listed there in verse 20. Now unto God and our who? That's God, our, verse 20, 
Father. He is our Father. And it, which reminds me of, uh, again, I'm going to steal a little bit of Pastor Walker's Sunday here, and what we sometimes call the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 11, you know, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's verse 11. That, that is a request for God to provide for our needs. That is our Heavenly Father caring for us. And notice it's daily bread. We, we acknowledge that He provides for us every day. We need to be in tune with what God is doing in that regard. Matthew 6.11. Also, how about Matthew 7.11? Making me think about Slurpees now. <laughs> this, that's not a need, by the way. That's a but good gifts, that's what that verse talks about. You know, sometimes we, we just need a good gift. Like, I remember uh, having an equivalent of that down in Florida when I lived there. I still have the, the big 44-ounce cup that I had, and I'd go get refills there and get Slurpees. Or, not Slurpees, it wasn't 7-Eleven. But, uh, back to this 7-Eleven. <laughs> Matthew 7-Eleven. He says, If ye then being evil... Evil, we're evil. But you know what? There's truth in that. And I'm sure Pastor Walker will address that. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, it, it really is a comparative term. How much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Now we've talked about going to God to ask for those needs that he's going to provide for us. God will answer our needs according to his will. He'll, he'll give us even good things. And in Luke's passage, it talks about promising us the Holy Spirit. If you need the strength of the Holy Spirit to do his work, and you ask God for it, and I believe God will give it to you. So let's be sure that we're asking our Heavenly Father to provide for our needs. But coming to a close here, care for God's children. And this is where we kind of mingle with each other. Verse 21 says, salute every saint in Christ Jesus. You know, you know what this is not? You see that word salute there. Maybe you'll think of, here, let me, let me salute you. Let me salute you. Let me salute you. No, that's not what the word salute means here at all. It's really just a word talking about general greeting. So, you know, we, we have that time during the service. We've already done that. We've already obeyed this scripture. Did you know that? We've already obeyed, salute every saint. Maybe, maybe you didn't get to everyone, so you'll have an opportunity to take care of that uh, very soon here. So salute every saint in Christ Jesus. That's the command that's given here. So very simply, offering the command. Now also, demonstrating an example. And so then he says, the brethren which are with me greet you. So he says, we're doing the same thing for you now. I am sending greetings, and this is... Greetings, I believe, on behalf of those that were with him. And if you want a, a list where Paul actually does this, it's pretty abbreviated here in Philippians. But if you go to Romans 16, there's a big long list of people where he says, this person salutes you, and this person salutes you. And the, by the way, it's, it's like saying, hi, you know, you have those big group chats or you know, on Skype, you get the family together and you're talking to grandma or something like that. You know, and everyone is saying hi. You know, that's Romans 16. You know, everyone there is saying hi. And Paul is acknowledging that through the letter there. So the brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you. Notice this. Chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. And, and this verse, you may not think of it this way, but I think this summarizes a lot of what Paul's attitude was towards 
his entire ministry here, the entire setting for writing this letter. If you go back to chapter 1 and verse number 12, but I would that you, but I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. That's, that's Paul's acknowledgement of taking the best of a bad circumstance here. He's in prison, but he's allowed God to use it in such a way that he's able to have a ministry there in that prison. And so then we see chapter 4, verse 22, where he's saying, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. How come these people now are saying hi? It's because he had a ministry with them. He was able to reach them. So, and to be very brief there, you just uh, can look at those verses in chapter 1. Now, what about the Philippian jailer? He had a ministry with the Philippian jailer, right? And there's a great uh, reward as a result of that. His entire family got saved. So, Paul making the best of a bad circumstance there. And again, finally, verse 23 here, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. And thank you for giving me grace. So just a couple notes there. Consider the source. Where is it coming from? It is ultimately coming from our Lord Jesus Christ. You go back to chapter 1, verse 2. That's how he started the letter. That's how he's ending the letter. This is what Paul's desire was for them individually. And so I want us to want it for each other. Some of us aren't always the most lovable at times, but we, we need to want God's grace for everyone that's around us.